we'll go to the book of Titus this morning, and we'll read the first nine verses, and we'll look at a few things this morning. <clears throat> Let's begin reading. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. But hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, mine own son after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able to be, or excuse me, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. Lord, it is such a blessing. And Lord, just an encouragement to be able to gather again today. And we ask that you would meet with us in a special way. I pray that as the Word of God is taught this morning in our facility, Lord, that you would just work in the hearts of people. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would touch and move in lives only as you can. And uh, Father, we pray that we would be conformed more to the image of Christ through the teaching of your word throughout this facility this morning. And bless the teachers, Lord. We need you. And now, Father, as we look at these things from your word, we pray for wisdom. I pray for discernment, Lord. And I pray that things would go forth this morning in a way that glorifies you. And I pray, Lord, that we would be sharpened, uh, Lord, to be better servants for you because of what we hear today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in writing, uh, Titus, as the Apostle Paul is writing him, he reminds him that the reason that he was left in Crete. And so this morning we're going to be talking about setting things in order. Uh, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting. And so it would appear to some extent and And perhaps, I think, maybe due to the limited time the Apostle Paul uh, probably spent on the island of Crete, that there were some things that uh, needed to be dealt with, some things that were wanting, some things that were lacking. And so uh, the Apostle Paul leaves uh, the servant Timothy there to do those things. And uh, what we see this morning is what's the first step of getting things in order? Proper leadership. Uh, proper leadership. The, there must be proper leadership established to have orderly. Uh, the military, I spent over 21 years in the Air Force, and I'll tell you this, when there wasn't good leadership, uh, the mission accomplishment was less effective. And there's no question. And I can give you example after example, and, and I'll have to admit it, sometimes it was due to my poor leadership that things didn't go as well as they probably should have. Uh, but it it starts really at the top and kind of goes down from there. And I'll never forget a time I was in Baghdad, and I was with the Army, and we had a small contingent uh, of Air Force folks that were assigned to the Army, and we had uh, the highest rank in person we had in our unit 
as a detachment under the army was a captain. And this particular captain was not a good leader. And an army life is a miserable life. And when you don't have a good leader in the Air Force working for the army, it was rough. And I'll never forget that. In that same year, I got forward deployed. We went from, uh, that was in, in 2009 and 10. I don't know if you guys remember that time. We were kind of drawn down in Iraq. And uh, we quit doing a lot of the missions that we were doing. We couldn't operate at night. And so that really affects things. And, and just because of the political environment, I ended up getting forward deployed to a great country called Afghanistan. And uh, so... Uh, to be honest, I didn't notice a lot of difference. I was in southern Afghanistan and in Kandahar province and things, and, and so desert to desert. And, um, but I got there, and there was a different captain, great leader, miserable circumstances. Again, we were a small detach. We were actually establishing a new civil engineering unit. It was the beginning of some of these uh, squadrons, prime beef and, and red horse units that were that formed the Expeditionary Civil Engineer Group that would just do construction all over the place. And so, but it was amazing to see how much easier it was to operate because we had a very competent, take-charge boss, uh, captain nonetheless, just a young guy. Uh, but I, I distinctly saw that difference in just one deployment. And so certainly we need proper leadership. Uh, and so he says in the latter part of verse 5, and ordain elders in every city... As I had pointed the, our God is a God of order. Uh, he's established uh, how things ought to operate. And we see that he gives pastors to feed the flock. Colossians 1, 14 through 18, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And so I know we're talking about elders, pastors, bishops this morning, but it all starts, the church is under the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and that's true, and, and listen, uh, you ought to find a church, I know we got some visitors today, you ought to find a church where the pastor is following Christ. I believe we have that here at Liberty. No question in my mind. Uh, and, and listen, there's a reason the Apostle Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Uh, God is a God of order. And He has established that uh, the church will have leadership. Uh, <clears throat> We also know in Scripture, he says, all things need to be done decently in order. Listen, somebody needs to have the overall oversight of any organization. It's really no different for the church. And, and uh, there needs to be clear direction on who is in charge or who is the overseer. And it's easy for me to understand this because I did it so many years in the military. It's easy for me just to get in line. Uh, one, I'm not accountable. <laughs> pastor, the senior pastor. Is 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 got the oversight, and so uh, listen. Our God is a God of order. There was a train that was about to leave a large railroad station, and the conductor went about checking tickets, and he was looking at the ticket of the first passenger, and he looked at the pastor and said, "Friend, uh, I think you're on the wrong train." 
but the man replied, he said, the ticket agent told me this is my train. I'm on the right train. And after a little discussion, the conductor decided to check with the ticket agent. Before long, it became clear that the conductor was on the wrong train. <laughs> when the leader is lost, how can the followers be going on the right track? Right. So we're going to talk about setting things in order today. And it begins with what many would call the, the qualifications of the elder, the qualifications of the pastor. Uh, the word elder comes from the Greek word presbyterios. It literally means an older person. <clears throat> uh, uh, but applied in, in, in certain, it was applied to certain members in the, the Jewish council in, in Matthew 26, 57, and they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and elders were assembled. Uh, same word. And, uh, but however, as we see in our context, it's applied to the men that are appointed uh, to leadership positions in the church. Acts chapter 14, verse 23, And when they had ordained them elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Acts 15 and 2, it says, When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And so, uh, no doubt, the, there are elders that are ordained or appointed in churches and in uh, to help oversee, and, and we'll talk about the word bishops and pastors here in a moment, uh, but what is the office of an elder? Uh, in the, the New Testament church, uh, they were to be bishops, overseers, and we see that in our passage here. He says ordain elders, and then later on, just a couple of verses down, what does he call them? Bishops. Uh, it's very simple. It's not, we're not talking about different offices here. They're the, they're the same office. Uh, but their duty, in, in the word bishop, has the idea of being an overseer. Uh, for their duty is to oversee the local congregation. Uh, we are to have elders or bishops. For a bishop must be blameless, right? Verse 7, it, it, he talks about ordaining elders. And then verse 7, he refers to them as bishops. And then we have that word pastors. And the idea there is to shepherd the flock. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Ephesians 4.11. 1 Peter 5 says this, The elders are among you. I exhort in whom also an elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God. So he talks about the elder, but he's talking about feeding the flock or, or being a shepherd. Uh, and it says, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. So we see... Uh, both of the, the, the ideas here, being an oversight and, and being a shepherd uh, under the idea of an elder. Uh, but they will take the oversight, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So what am I saying this morning? Elder, bishop, pastor... They're not distinct separate offices. Uh, there are different ways to describe the men in their work uh, as a pastor. And I don't know why we choose the word pastor. I just know in my experience in, in the churches I've attended over the years, pastor is the preferred term. We don't use the word bishop. It's in the Bible. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Um, but I'm not going to say Bishop Brooks. It just doesn't seem right. I mean, if he wants me to, I will. You're the boss. 
But for whatever reason, in our churches, usually the, the preferred word or term we use is pastor. And uh, probably because it's, I think it may be a little more endearing, uh, perhaps. I, I'm not sure. Uh, but I don't think you're wrong to say. Now, I like the idea of elder, the old guy, you know. Uh, but the problem is, as an assistant, people start referring to me as that. So I've got to be careful what I point my finger at, you know. Um, but anyway, a congregation that is not completely or, or really properly scripturally organized, in order to do that, you must have a qualified man serving as pastor. Uh, it's critical. It's a bad thing to have a people without a shepherd. Uh, I don't think anybody would argue that this morning. Um, there is an idea of these, uh, the plurality of elders out there. Uh, I would disagree with that. I was reading some things recently, and, and one of them, one of the comments I, I read, it said they share equal responsibility and decision-making power, and that just doesn't make sense. There's no leadership. Somebody has to take the responsibility there. And Revelations, I think, is clear. When you look at Revelation, then when the Lord addresses the seven churches there, and I'll give you an example in Revelations 2.1, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, right? He did not say unto the plurality of elders at this location. He identified the angel, the individual, the singular pastor, if you will, of that location. And, and so uh, it's a sobering thought to think that as a pastor you will be held accountable on how you shepherd. Uh, and when the chief shepherd shall appear, uh, I believe it's very clear in Scripture that there ought to be one main lead man, and we'll talk about that here in a moment, it ought to be a man, um, uh, to lead the flock. That doesn't mean there can't be assistance in, in other folks that are qualified to, to be on staff to help and, and to support and, and really to hold up uh, the man of God's arms. And so uh, certainly that's okay, uh, but there ought to be one distinct individual that has the overall oversight. Uh, chaos will ensue otherwise, I believe. And we also know that pastors are assisted by other qualified folks. We call them deacons oftentimes. Uh, there are those deacons, and, and I won't get into that for the sake of time. I got notes on it, but I got to skip through it to make time. I don't want to talk about, we're not talking about deacons. We're talking about uh, elders or pastors this morning. The pastor's authority is also limited to the local congregation that he oversees. Uh, so, they are to take the head, or <clears throat> they are to take the authority over their church. It says, take heed to the flock over which, in Acts 20 and 28, um, it says this, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his blood. And then 1 Peter chapter 5, it says, the elders which are among you, I exhort, who also, who am also an elder and a witness of suffering Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that which shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. So the idea of a pastor is he's the pastor of, of the one congregation. He doesn't have oversight of Christians in other churches. And that's that's a blessing to know. Uh, we're not have to consume ourselves with the problems elsewhere. 
in the challenges and the difficulties elsewhere. And so here's a side note for you all this morning. Uh, pastor's not trying to pastor anyone else other than the folks here at Liberty. You ought not seek any pastoring anywhere else. So do not let you or your family be shepherded by someone that is not among you. What am I saying this morning? Uh, the televangelist, the internet preacher, they ain't your pastor. Amen. Nor is the fellow across town. Did you know that God is able to lead you to a church? And when you get there, you ought to submit yourself. And listen, I'll put it this way, get in line. We're, we're talking about God has given us an overseer. God has given us a shepherd, uh, a bishop, uh, an elder that labors and that prays for you. Uh, you ought to submit yourselves to them that have the rule over you. Uh, that's how it ought to be. Uh, listen, I've, I've seen it time and time again. And this is before I was in ministry, before I was a pastor, if you will. People will all go get all kinds of advice everywhere else, and they'll never talk to their pastor. And it creates problem. It creates discord. It, it, it brings disunity in the family of God here at our local church. Listen, if you are so confident that God has brought you here, if you need something... Pastor Brooks is the first person you should go to. That's good preaching, even if I'm doing it. And I'm telling you what, it's the Bible. It's, it's clear. Those that are among you, uh, we need to be very careful. Now, I'm not saying you can't read some books and, and different things and get some, uh, some wisdom in those things, but what I'm talking about, there are people that, that they are circumventing God's ordained plan on how the church ought to operate. And oftentimes what they're doing is they want it their way. They know they, or they, at least they perceive what the pastor is going to say. And so they go get this advice that caters to their liking. And we have problems. Be careful this morning. Listen, just be obedient to the Word of God. Do it God's way. And there won't be dysfunction. We heard that at family camp this week. Uh, and listen, and I say this. I subjected my, myself and my family to the leadership of this church. So that should say something. But I also say this because I've traveled the country. Uh, we had nine, well, we, I guess the world. We had at least nine permanent duty stations while I was in the Air Force. So I've been to other churches. I've seen other pastors and how they operate. And I've visited countless churches over the years as I was DDY in different locations. I'm very confident that we have God's man in this place for this people. It can be dysfunctional because the pastor may not be doing it right. We, it's right here. And that's a blessing. And, and so uh, it doesn't make it easy all the time, though. But be an adult and have the conversation. And be submissive to how God leads. Don't, consume, don't try to consume something upon your flesh, I guess is what I'm saying. All right. <clears throat> so 
in service of the New Testament church. We're going to have to move here quickly or we're going to have to do another continued lesson. Uh, the pastors will take heed to themselves. They will take heed to the flock of God. We see that in Acts chapter 28 and then 1 Peter 5, 2. We, we looked at those verses a few moments ago. 1 Peter 5, 3, and they're going to be leading by example. Neither is being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. Watching out for trouble, Acts 29 through 31. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone. So listen, pastors are going to be on the watch. Uh, listen, they're depending on God and His Word. Verse 32 in, in Acts chapter 20 again, it says, Now my brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. We know uh, these are just some, some general things we're talking about. Elders were able to be teachers and rulers of the flock. Uh, we won't spend a lot of time looking at Timothy, uh, but we see a very similar passage in, in 1 Timothy in chapter 3. When we talk about the, what we often we term as the qualifications uh, for a pastor, uh, but it says they ought to be able to teach. We see the, the terminology apt to teach there. Able to rule others well. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his house, how shall he take care of the church of God? That's an example in Scripture of a man ruling his house and having the ability to do that in the house of God as well. We're talking about a leader. Uh, so don't get this idea that pastors have no responsibility or you don't have to submit to them. They do. Um, <clears throat> it says this in, in 1 Timothy 5.17, Let the elders that rule well uh, be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. And so uh, the idea of rule means they have authority. They make decisions in, in the direction of, of how the church is going to go. Uh, they will hold fast what they were taught. We read that in Timothy verse 9 here in chapter 1, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. And so those are some of the, the characteristics of, uh, or responsibilities, I guess maybe you would say, of, of a pastor. And so the work of elders... Uh, or pastors and bishops was to oversee the flock leading and guarding the sheep, is what I'm saying. So they're to rule, to lead, and to guard, and, and to care for the sheep. Paul says it's a good work. This is a true saying, if a man desire an office, the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. And so it's a good work that requires qualified men. I don't think anybody would disagree with me that this morning. And so as we look here in the next few moments, we're going to talk about some general qualifications and maybe some family qualifications and some things that he should not have and the things that he should have. And I think we'll have time to get through this this morning. But as we begin to look at these qualifications for a pastor, I want to make a note that all of these qualifications for a pastor are no different than what the Lord expects of all of his children. I challenge you to name one qualification that, we, that you read in Scripture about a bishop or here for pastors, that God does not somewhere in His Word exhort all believers to exercise. 
you will not find one of these that God expects of, the, uh, of a pastor that is not expected of you. Uh, so be careful as we look at these things on how critical we can be of those people that are in ministry. Um, and so some general qualifications describe a bishop must be. Uh, verse 7, it says, For a bishop must be. It's not optional. Uh, these are things that, that must be. And it says a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. And so there's some things that must be. If you back up to verse 6, uh, we need to make note of this because of this day and age that we live in. If any man be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. So a bishop must be blameless. And the idea, well, you know what? Let's, let's address this first. Because of our culture, a man is the only person that's qualified to be a bishop. Uh, it says this, the husband of one wife. Anybody know the definition of husband? It's not woman. Now, I, I say that because they, I'm sure the dictionary will be changed at some point. We kind of chuckle at that. But they're redefining things. Uh, but in the dictionary that I looked that up, and I looked up husband. And it talks about being in a covenant with, a, with a, not another man, but a woman. And so it says the husband, which by definition is a biological male, is the husband of one wife. And the definition of wife is a woman. Uh, there, there's no question in my mind that God has established the male to be the leader of a church. Uh, that doesn't mean women are less. Contrary, my wife is a greater person than me, probably. Uh, but God has established it this way. And, and listen, don't change what God has ordained because what does that do? It brings dysfunction. And, and I'll tell you what, I, I served in the military. I had female, I had women commanders at times, and I'm not, some of them were great. There were some good ones, I have to admit that. But overall, women just are not designed to lead like men are, especially when you're talking about in a combat zone and when things are starting to get emotional in those things. I saw it firsthand a number of times where they became very indecisive. And when you're in a hot zone, you can't be indecisive. You need to make, even if it's the wrong decision, you got to take action. And so, but listen, it's very simple. Bishops ought to be men. Uh, we don't need culture to redefine that for us. It's really explicit in Scripture. Uh, but because of today, we clarify it. If a man, uh, if any man be blameless, the husband, and we'll look at First Timothy, it says this is a true saying, if a man... Desire the office of a bishop. And I find that's interesting there. If a man desires it, we don't, maybe ladies do desire that. I don't know. I'm not a woman. But I do remember desiring the office of a bishop, and I remember how foolish that is now. <laughs> Why would anybody want this? 
And I say that in jest because I really do. I, I've enjoyed this last year immensely. And, and you people are so gracious. And, and, and it's just been a joy to labor here with you. Uh, but listen, it ought to be a man. <clears throat> First Timothy 2. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair, gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women, professing godliness... With good works, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. And, and listen, we can go to other passages of Scripture. I'm, I'm not going to labor here too much. Uh, I just want you to know that it ought to be a man. And in our day, you've got to say biological man. Uh, how ridiculous is that? <clears throat> and so blameless. Uh, the idea there is one against whom no evil charge can be sustained. Uh, innocent. Uh, not meriting censure, and so free from accusations that can be rightly proven. <laughs> Listen, certainly people will cast stones, make accusations. Uh, <clears throat> against an elder, receive not an accus- accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Them that sin rebuke before all that others may fear. Listen, men do fail, pastors do fail, pastors do sin. So it's not that they're not accountable, uh, but we need to be careful how we address them uh, and do it properly. And there's a biblical way to do that. Uh, but a bishop ought to be blameless. Uh, living above reproach, maybe we would say. And here in verse 7, it says, As the steward of God. And uh, so a steward was a servant entrusted with that which belongs to another. Boy, God has given a pastor a people. And God has given a people a pastor. And so he is a steward, and so a good pastor, uh, a pastor that's doing it right, is going to lead his flock the way that God intends that flock to be led. Uh, And again, I believe we have that here. We have a good pastor. And so what do we know about stewards? They must be faithful, trustworthy. Let a man so account of us as the ministers of God and stewards of the ministers of God, or and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And so certainly, uh, I believe we have a faithful man here, but we're talking in general the qualifications. And then this moves us on in our text here into uh, verse 6 and, and farther along. And there's some family qualifications. Uh, we talked about the husband of one wife. Uh, the main thought here, I believe, this is my thoughts, and I know there may be some room for, for different ideas here, and I understand that, and so I won't be too dogmatic here, uh, but I believe this strongly. I believe the main thought in, in the common culture of the day, it was dealing with polyg- polygamy, uh, multiple wives and those things. Uh, but I think there is an argument uh, that a man... Uh, well. When it comes to divorce and remarriage in a pastor, I think there's a good argument that a man that's living blameless and that is faithful, uh, he's going to have one marriage. Uh, And and I know there's some people that that have the idea that if you're divorced and you're remarried, you can't pastor, or you can pastor. My personal opinion is, no, but I do understand there may be room for that. The, The Bible speaks of restoration and those things. I know some folks that hold that opinion. I love them. 
you know, I'm not going to fight over it. Um, But the word of, or the words we see in this passage here is of one. Uh, It's translated from the Greek word mia, and it has the idea of first. And so I think there is a good argument of, uh, of one or the first one, not just one at a time. And that's my personal opinion. I understand others may, may have a different thought on that, but that's just my personal opinion. And I would go back to being blameless and faithful. If a guy's got two and three marriages, that's an indication that he's unable to rule his house. Maybe there's some blame. He, he's not faithful. And so that's my personal opinion, but I do understand. And, and there are people who are going to say, well, what if they had a marriage before that they were uh, called to be a pastor? So I get it. There may be something to that. And so I won't stand up here dogmatically and say that, that that's the case. I know a guy that pastors that that was his situation. He had been in a divorce, but it was prior to him being saved. And he got remarried. Him and his wife got saved. He felt God called him to pastor. He pastors. If I'm in his town, I attend his church. I ain't going to tell you where it is. Uh, but uh, I disagree kind of on that point, but I can understand his argument. It makes sense. Um, But I'm just giving you my personal thoughts on it. And so we're going to close with this thought, and we'll pick up some of this next week. Having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. We see that here in verse 6. And so let me first say this. Scripture does not demand the preacher's children be perfect. Nor should you. Nor should you. Uh, I dare say, why would you expect something greater from the pastor's children than your own? Uh, We need to be careful. What is riot? To revel, to run to excess in feasting, drinking, or other sensual indulgences. What is unruly? uh, Disregarding restraint. Licentious, disposed to violate laws, turbulent, ungovernable, as an unruly youth. Webster gives as an example. But it says having faithful children, trustworthy children. And when I thought about that, I thought as my boys have gotten older, there isn't a task that I'm not afraid to give them. I trust them. They're not perfect. Far from it. Uh, I understand their mistakes and their failures. But boy, when I thought about that and, and the challenge it can be when you go into ministry because people start, all of a sudden the magnifying glass comes out. And everyone starts being critical of the preacher's kid. And that comes out, and, and I thought, boy, they might be able to say my kid ain't perfect, but there's one thing I can say, all my boys are faithful. I can trust them. And so just what, what am I saying this morning? Be careful that you don't have a higher standard for the preacher's kids than your own. If anything, you ought to expect more out of yours. One of the great joys of raising my boys is to see that they're faithful. And I know they're not there yet. Uh, But uh, they certainly aren't perfect. Um, Listen, no preacher's kid's perfect. Your children are not perfect. And I'll remind you this, neither are you. So be careful. We ought to extend grace to the preacher's kids too. We give our children grace. We give... We need to be gracious to everyone. The idea here is ruling his own house well. 
One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? And so certainly that doesn't mean that the preacher's kids can be out of control. And so we'll pick up some more of these qualifications, if you will, for the pastor next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for this study in Titus. I pray the word that you'd be with us as we go through it. We ask that you would work in our hearts and draw us nearer to you through it. And Lord, we certainly pray that you'd meet with us in the hour to come. We need you, Father. We ask that you would fill with your spirit. Bless now as we gather to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.